This morning, I would like to kill two birds with one stone. And that is, I would like to conclude our summer series on church matters while at the same time introducing, beginning my upcoming Sunday evening series on future events. And the reason I can do this is because there is an intersection of the two subjects. The conclusion of every church matter is also at the very same time the consummation or the beginning of, of future events as promised and prophesied for us in the, in the Bible. And, and namely, as a church, our final church matter, church, we are looking forward to the rapture of the church. And the rapture is that blessed hope of the church, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is also the first of the future events eschatologically that we are looking forward to. And so this morning, our final, final church matter and the first of future events is the church raptured to be with Jesus. Let's pause for prayer and then we'll dig in. Oh God in heaven, it is our desire to love you more and more because of all that we do indeed owe. And Lord, as we wait until we see your face, I pray that you would give us just a profound sense of gratitude and thanksgiving for our redemption and for your choosing us as a church. God, as we open the scripture now, as we read, as we study, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher. I pray, God, that you would enable me to to preach better than I know how, to be faithful to the scripture text. And Lord, may all of us leave this place not looking in or out, but looking up to the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. There are three key uh, primary scripture texts that teach us about the rapture of the church, and they are John 14, verses one through three, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 58, and 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. That's where I want you to go this morning. In your copy of the Holy Scriptures, 1 Thessalonians is where we will be. And, and these passages tell us about the future event in which Jesus will return to catch up and to carry away his bride, the church. We call it the rapture from the Latin rapio, which means to seize or to snatch. It's the culmination and the conclusion of, of our salvation, and I invite you to begin with me here in, in 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, which will be our primary text, we, we are given explanation of the rapture in both a doctrinal and a pastoral way. Doctrinally, these verses teach us truth. Pastorally, these verses shepherd our soul. For you see, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, they had only been converted for a few months. They were baby believers, and they were in need of both information, doctrine, or teaching, and they were need, in need of assurance regarding the promises of Jesus' return to gather believers to himself. And, and so before we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you, if you look back to chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse number 9 Paul wrote, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached to you the gospel of God. You were witnesses, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse number 10, and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved among you 
And I'm looking here now for, for what I'm looking. I'm in chapter two. That's not where I want to be. Did you all know that? Why am I the last one to know that I'm reading in the wrong place? All right. First Thessalonians chapter one. Is that what I said? Verses 9 and 10, pick up in chapter 1, verse 9. I repeated it three times, right? You'd think I would listen to myself. All right, the end of verse number 9, chapter 1, verse 9, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and here we go, to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to these baby believers, to this newly planted church, about the return of Jesus to rapture. Now go to chapter 2, verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? There's the theme again. Chapter 3, verse 13 now. Chapter 3, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Jump to chapter 5, verse 23. Chapter 5, verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. And so a very definite and repeated theme through this letter to these new believers is that Jesus is coming again to rapture his church. And so then we go to chapter 4 verses 13 through 18, a familiar text, a precious text to us that helps us. I'm posing four questions this morning. Number one in your notes, how can we be sure of the rapture? How can we be sure that Jesus will return to rapture us as his church? It was in John chapter 14, verses one through three that Jesus promised, let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. But in fact, we are troubled because folks, it has been 2,000 years of waiting for Jesus' promise to return. It's been a long time. It's been a long wait. How can we be sure of a rapture? Second Peter chapter three, scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, since they died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And and so how do we answer that question or that objection? Where is the promise of his coming? How can we be sure that Jesus will return? And that's the crisis question of this text. Look at verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I want you to be informed concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And notice both the information and the assurance of this text. Here's the information, and I'm giving it to you so you are assured, as opposed to those of whom Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, having no hope without God in the world. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. The ESV translates it best, for since we believe, there was no uncertainty or doubt about the Thessalonians' belief or faith that that has been well established through this letter. Since we believe this, we can be sure. And the first reason we can be sure of a rapture is because of letter A, the death of Christ. The death of Christ is the truth 
that the Thessalonians had received back in Acts chapter 17 when Paul went into the synagogue and for three weeks the the Bible says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures, the Thessalonians, explained and demonstrated that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. The Thessalonians believed in the death of Jesus Christ. The Thessalonians also looking there at Acts 17 verse number two, they came to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can be sure of the rapture because of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Now, many times when we talk about the gospel, we talk about the death of Christ. Jesus died on an old rugged cross and he shed his blood for our sin, the penalty of our sin. And that's, that's true, but that's only part of the gospel. Jesus died and was buried and he rose again the third day. Therefore, Jesus said in John 14 verse 19, because I live, you will live also. In fact, if it weren't for the resurrection, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, my preaching would be empty, your faith would be futile, we would still be in our sin because those who have fallen asleep in Christ will have fully perished if it were not for the resurrection. But what does he say, 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so as we believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel, we also believe in his imminent return as he promised, which is actually now letter C, the word of Christ. And the word of Christ is the promise of Christ. Look at verse number 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. And what Paul is teaching in these verses is not the wild superstition of a religious fanatic, but it is the word of Christ. Think about the word of Christ. Again, I would reference John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You know this passage well. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you here on the screen, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That is the word of Christ as promised. We can be sure of the rapture because of the promises of Jesus Christ. Turn with me quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll be careful to find my place there. 1 Corinthians 15, we know that the Apostle Paul was given direct revelation from Jesus Christ. He was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was given a multitude of revelations as an apostle, according to 2 Corinthians 12. And here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I declared to you, verse number 1, First of all, that which I also received. This is the revelation that the Apostle Paul received, the gospel message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You're familiar with these early verses in 1 Corinthians 15. If we keep reading, we come to verse 51. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. A mystery in the Bible is something previously hidden but now revealed. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. 
So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades or grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I submit to you that in the progress Uh, the process of progressive revelation, there was an increasing explanation of the rapture events. So follow this. John 14, verses one through three. We've seen it projected a couple times already. Jesus told his disciples, do not be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm coming again to receive you to myself. The date of that would have been A.D. 30 to 33, Jesus' ministry among his disciples. Then in 1 Thessalonians 4, our primary text this morning, the apostle Paul informed those who were grieving the loss of their loved ones about Jesus' return. He assured the Thessalonians that this would happen. The date was probably AD 52. See the progress of Revelation. Finally then, Paul writes to the Corinthians. It's open before you here in 1 Corinthians 15. The date is probably AD 57. And we can be sure of a rapture event when Jesus comes for his own because he has promised it to us and promised it to us and promised it to us. And so by faith we accept the word of the Lord. Okay, but then how, I'm sorry, who can participate in the rapture? Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. There are two categories of people who will be raptured when Jesus returns on the clouds. The the, the first category of people are believers who are asleep. Believers who are asleep. Look at verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. I want you to be, I'm sorry, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others with no hope. Those who have fallen asleep are those who have died. Those who are asleep in verse 13, also there in verse number 15, you see it there, um, or more specifically, those who sleep in Jesus at the end of verse 14, those who are dead in Christ at the end of verse 16, if you're looking at the text there, the, the in Jesus and the in Christ are critical qualifiers for those who have died because everyone dies but not everyone dies in Christ or in Jesus. And that simple prepositional phrase is the common designation for those who have been born again. It's the theme of my very first message earlier this summer in our summer series, that prepositional phrase which describes the church, those in Christ or in Jesus. Furthermore, those who sleep in Jesus, verse number 14, those who are dead in Christ, verse number 16, are not in a state of unconscious existence after they die. Some have argued for the notion of a soul sleep. But rather, quite the contrary, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said he had a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Jesus told the penitent thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, even though his body remained here on this earth. And so the Thessalonians are sorrowing the loss of some in their number, and they were ignorant of of their future fate, and they needed assurance. What happens when one dies? If one is a believer, 
before they die, they will immediately be in the presence of their Lord Jesus in heaven. And then when Jesus returns, verse 16 tells us, their bodies will be reunited, raised and reunited with them. And you think about this event, as we read just in 1 Corinthians 15, how that in that instantaneous moment of change and transformation, the graves are opened and born-again believers who have died in Christ for more than 20 centuries of, of church history will be raised to meet Jesus in the air. Their corruptible mortal bodies will become incorruptible and immortal and they will be face to face with Jesus. Think about those from our church who've died even yet this year. Think about your loved ones, those who have died in Christ. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so if the dead in Christ, the New Testament believers, rise first, what about the rest of us? There's a second category of people who will participate in the rapture event, and that's believers who are alive. That's us today. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, the dead in Christ who are raised with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Folks, you're familiar with this passage. You've heard preaching and teaching regarding this many times before, but, but I want you just to, in this moment, think about that event. Think about the, the shout, the trumpet, and the rapture where we are called up, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Do you long for that moment to see Jesus? Do you long for that day? In both cases, the The common denominator here is those who are believers in Jesus who participate in the rapture. Think about that day and think about the surety that you have regarding that day. What if I miss the rapture event? What if I'm not a believer? What if I haven't been born again by faith in Jesus Christ? Folks, forgive the cliche, but you do not want to be left behind. In fact, if we return to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there is an argument to be made there in the text that unlike the popular book series and movie series, that, that you will believe the lie of the Antichrist, that you will be sent a strong delusion, and you will continue to reject Jesus Christ. Do not make that mistake. When can we expect the rapture? When? The Bible teaches that its timing is is unknown but imminent. It could happen at any moment. I remember in my youth, I didn't want the rapture to happen at any moment because I had things to do and places to go and people to meet. I mean, my whole life was before me and I didn't want my life interrupted by Jesus' return. Of course, as I've matured, the older I get, the more I look forward to Jesus coming. And um, as I stand before you this morning, I'm ready to go. I've had enough of this old world, if you'll allow me, and I look forward to seeing Jesus. But there's always been speculation 
about Jesus' return and there's been prediction regarding the timing of it. There's certainly division in evangelical Christianity regarding the sequence of the chronology of eschatological events. And, but before we can discuss the date of the rapture, um, let me give you something different, the distinction of the rapture from Jesus' second coming. And many times we conflate the two events. The rapture, Jesus' return for the church, and his second coming, they're distinct from each other. And rather than my ramblings, I've copied for you a very concise explanation of the differences between Jesus' rapture return and his second coming. It's there on the back of your notes, and and I don't have it to project for you on the screen, but there, if you have a hard copy, uh, Dr. Richard Mayhew of the the Master's Seminary has just given us just this great piece, and, and, and let me read it for us. If one compares what happens at the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, that's what we've been looking at this morning, and what happens at the final events of Christ's second coming in Matthew 24 and 25, there are at least eight significant contrasts or differences, distinctions that are observable. And these demand that the rapture occur at a time significantly different from that of the final event of Christ's second coming. Number one, at the rapture, Christ comes in the air and then returns to heaven. But at the final event of his second coming, Christ comes to the earth to dwell and reign. Number two, at the rapture, Christ gathers his own, but at the final event of the second coming, angels gather the elect. At the rapture, Christ comes to reward, but at the final event of the second coming, Christ comes to judge. Number four, at the rapture, resurrection is prominent, but at the final event of the second coming, resurrection is not mentioned. Now, you need to put an asterisk there because with respect to Dr. Mayhew, I I think he is failing to recall Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 and Revelation 20 verses 4 and 5. There is resurrection that is mentioned at the second coming. It may not be as prominent, but but that is the case, and so I would quibble just a bit with with number four. Not the entire argument, but, but that specific point. Number five, at the rapture, believers depart the earth, but at the final event of the second coming, unbelievers are taken away from the earth. Number six, at the rapture, unbelievers remain on earth, but at the final event of the second coming, believers remain on earth. At the rapture, there's no mention of establishing Christ's kingdom on earth, but at the final event of the second coming, Christ has come to set up his kingdom on earth. At the rapture, believers will receive glorified bodies, but at the final event of the second coming, no one will receive glorified bodies. And, and so once we recognize the difference between these two eschatological events, we're able to then inquire of the date of the rapture or the timing of the rapture distinct from the second coming. Okay then, when will the rapture occur? It may be today. It may be soon. In his letter um, to the Thessalonians, Paul has been assuring them that they would be spared from the wrath of God upon the earth. Turn the page back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse number 10. I'll be careful to, to find my place and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so in some way, the rapture has to occur before the wrath to come. Look at chapter five, verse number nine. Chapter five, verse nine, for God did not appoint us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we look at the, bu- the book of Revelation, we find that the church is referenced 19 times in Revelation chapters one through three, but then the church is completely absent from chapters six through 18, where the tribulation is described when God would pour out his wrath on the world. And I submit to you that the church is raptured before the tribulation event. In fact, Revelation 3.10 promises that the church will be delivered from the hour of trial which is to come upon the earth. And so without giving you a day or a date, I would make the case biblically that the rapture will happen before the tribulation, before God deals with Israel. The second coming then occurs after the tribulation. You say, well, that's helpful to know, Pastor Matt. Thank you for that information. Okay, but this isn't just an information dump. I think this is Paul's burden to the Thessalonians is he doesn't want to only give them information. He wants to give them assurance so that we don't sorrow as those with no hope. Look again at verse number 18, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Folks, the message of 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, and John 14, verses one through three, let not your heart be troubled, and 1 Corinthians 15, as we read, is to give us comfort and to encourage us. And so I ask the question, why can we take comfort in the rapture? Folks, uh, life is hard And there is pain, and there is suffering, and there is conflict, and there is loss. And every one of us here this morning are hurting in some way, to some degree. We don't know about it. In your world, in your family, on your job, maybe with your health, maybe with a relationship, you're hurting. What comfort can be found This morning I submit to you the comfort of this information, the comfort of this assurance that someday, verse 17, the end of verse 17, we shall always be with the Lord. That is the hope of the believer. That is the comfort of the church. And while we may struggle and we may suffer living life in this fallen world, this world is not our home. We're just passing through, folks. Jesus is coming again to rapture his church. And as we spend our lives on this earth consumed with the circumstances of life, and we we talk about, we make every effort to live our best life now, but we don't think often enough toward the day when we will see Jesus face to face. He will catch us away. And at that time, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Folks, this is the best of all the church matters that we could discuss this summer. Jesus returned for his church, and this is the first of the future events that we will look forward to on Sunday evenings this fall as we study the scriptures and understand that the king is coming. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would comfort us with the assurance of the scripture this morning. God, we're tired, we're weary, we're hurting. Life in this world is going from bad to worse as you have warned us it would. Things would 
wax worse and worse. And Lord, whether it's um, our culture, whether it's politics, Lord, in, in every way, things are digressing. Morality is lost and the fear of God is gone. And God, we look forward to your return. I pray that you would encourage us this morning with this truth. If there are some here this morning that have not been born again, that are not part of your bride, the church, that are not sure if they would miss the rapture, oh God, by your grace, draw them to yourself and convict them of their sin, of disbelief, and Lord, save them by your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.